Have you developed a habit that is affecting your well-being and has the potential to become an addiction? Have you tried many and many times to interrupt the cycle, but each time life has come in between and you have relapsed? Or perhaps you are concerned for someone you care about who might be on the road to develop an healthier habit and addictions. Join me after the intro for a conversation with a special guest who experienced addiction and found the strength to overcome it for good and in the process develop a program to help others doing the same. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Trial Show. Today's episode focuses on something that most of us develop at least once in their life, but in some cases can have a negative impact on us, the way we live our life, and often the relationships we have. Today we talk about addictions and how we can break free from them by changing our habits. And we do it in a conversation with Christine Wright, who has joined us from Leeds, UK. Christine is the owner and founder of habitbreaker.org, through which she helps individuals breaking free from addictions with an award-winning method called reframing. Hi, Christine. Thank you for being with us and welcome to the Forgiven Trade Show. Thank you, Rosanna. It's absolutely a beautiful, beautiful feeling to be here. So I'm thrilled that you've invited me on your podcast. Thank oh, you. Thank you. So, Christina, I, I would love to start with you. And how did you uh, start working on addictions and helping people breaking free from them? Oh, wow. What a question. <laughs> so I would... I would say that my journey into what I do now really started when I was 14 years old. And it wasn't a journey of that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help people break free from addiction or unhealthy habits. What I mean is when I was 14, that's when I developed my unhealthy habit with alcohol. That became my crutch. It became my coping mechanism. That became the way that I self-sabotaged when I had any turbulence or trauma in my life. Um, so, and that, you know, I went through so much turbulence growing up from childhood into adulthood. And when I say adulthood, I would say right up until two years ago. 
So my journey with alcohol was, is 30 years in the making, which then makes me say, and gives me the permission, I would say, um, I changed everything in 2019. Yes, 2019 it was. And that really happened when I had some divine intervention. Now, I don't know if your listeners are are into this kind of spirituality, but that's really what happened to me. In 2019, I met my earth angel and he put me on the path of what I'm on now because prior to what I did or do, I was a very successful event florist and stylist, which took me all over the world. I worked in TV, I worked with celebrities, and with that lifestyle came a lot of stress, a lot of drinking, a lot of other unhealthy habits, shall we say, you know, narcotics and things like that. And I got myself into a pattern of behaviors which weren't beneficial for me. I became a functioning alcoholic. Um, And I say functioning because a lot of people didn't know that I had this issue. They just thought I was a very happy-go-lucky, very successful businesswoman, even though inside I was absolutely emotionally crushed. Um, So again, in 2019, I met Danny, who was my earth angel. And I call him my earth angel because one minute he was there, the next minute he was gone. And he had the weight of the world on his shoulders, you know, and I do say within my talks, you know, my earth angel didn't have glow, glowing halos. They didn't have white fluffy wings. He couldn't sing. He was a complete troubled soul because I actually saved him from jumping over a motorway bridge. And whilst I was cradling him in my arms, whilst emergency services came, I was with him for half an hour and he was speaking to me. Everything that he was saying, Rosanna, was just like, this is me. This is what I'm going through. This is what I've gone through. If I'm not careful and if I don't change my ways, this will be me. It's not could be me. This will be me. And I may not be so lucky to have somebody drive past, see me, see my value, see my worth. Um, So that's really what happened. I stopped doing what I did in the event world and I set up Habit Breaker a month later and I knew that I had to have a mission of sorting my my own needs out, my own problems, my own addictions out because I knew that that was then my new calling I I wanted and I needed to serve others in the process. So in answer to your question, I met my earth angel and that was it. That was a wake up call, I I guess, for you. It was huge. And I think what it also did as well, Rosanna, is it made me present. It made me become more present um, and awakened to other things in my life, life rather than the dramas and the negativity that I always seem to attract. Once I stopped the alcohol intake, my senses became alive. I was very much infused with a different glow. It was, okay, I'm more present with my children. I'm more present in relationships with friends. I'm more present with, well, I was able to start up an online business you know, and 
in the event world, all my acquaintances and friends in that industry were like, what are you doing? You know nothing about this. You haven't got a PhD in this. You haven't got this. And it's like, what I do have though is 30 years of drinking, of quashing trauma, of self-sabotage, of procrastination, of self-loathing. And all these things are huge things that impact an addict's life. They're doing that, they're, they're, they're going towards something they're going towards a coping mechanism to help fix and suffocate something that they don't want to really address. And it doesn't have to be traumatic. It might just be boredom. It, you know, it's things like that. It's, it really awakened my senses. And, you know, I am more present. I am more spiritual. And within that journey, there's been so much more growth. And I know this is all, you know, we speak of forgiveness that was key for me. I had to forgive myself so much through what I'd put myself through and own, own that responsibility. But I also had to forgive others who did me wrong, like serious wrongs, the, the abuse, the manipulation, the, the narcissism, um, the abandonment issues that I may have gone through. I had to learn how to forgive those people in order for me to move on. Um, and I had to repair, I had to repair those relationships to the best of my ability. There's people I, I, I've not seen and wouldn't want to see in years because they hurt me so badly. But I had to repair that, those fragments mm. in order for me to be able to move on and do what I do. So. Wow. There are so many uh, little uh, words that suggest so much uh, we can talk about. Um, first of all, how do we uh, define the addiction? I, I know it sounds like a, a bit of a, a silly question, you know, where uh, obviously you develop uh, a, a dependence on, on something, but very often we tend to... Um, not pay too much attention to that. We, we tend to hide it from others. We, we tend to say, no, I'm not addicted. I, I just enjoy, uh, I don't know, a glass of wine. I just uh, enjoy, um, you know, a cigarette or, or whatever. So how can we recognize and be honest with ourselves and say, okay, this is that threshold that... Uh, Addiction actually derives from the Latin meaning of enslaved by or bound to. Um, and, you know, it exerts a long kind of powerful influence in our brain, which then manifests itself into three different ways. And that's craving for the addiction. So whether or not that's alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, sex addiction, retail therapy, gaming, gambling, you name it. So it's craving for that objection of addiction. It's also the loss of control over its use. So once we start to lose control over the usage of it, that's when we need to really start worrying. And then it's the continuing involvement. Once we've lost that control, you know, it's continuing that involvement, even though we know what the consequences of that will be. 
And there's, there's a quote from um, a doctor that I, I often quote again in my, in my talks. He's, I've got his name here. It's Dr. Kevin Wandler. And he's the chief medical officer of Advanced Recovery Systems. And it basically says, without some, some, some kind of intervention or counseling, it's only a matter of time before a high-functioning addictee becomes a non-functioning addictee because it's such a progressive disease. Now, he normally talks about alcoholism and I normally speak about alcoholism because that's what I was. Now, if you'd have asked me three years ago or two years ago, even well, three years ago, Rosanna, are you an alcoholic? I would have sworn blind. No, I'm not. I just enjoy a drink. Uh, so I understand the question that you said, how do you know that when you're falling into that trap? Now, and again, it wasn't until I started doing all my research and finding out there's so many different levels of addiction in terms of, you know, there's the gray areas of drinking, there's the high functioning alcoholic, there's the full blown alcoholic. Um, I would have said I was just maybe a binge drinker who, who drank a little bit through the week. Now that little bit through the week turned out to be three bottles of wine a night. Now that is complete um, ludicrousy for me to sit here and say, I wasn't an addict, I wasn't addicted, but I would have said that three years ago. It was just, I was that blind to it. It was my coping mechanism. Uh, basically stage that you yeah. were basically in. Um, yeah. I like what, what you are uh, stressing here is that level of escalation that you have when you start an addiction. And in fact, there is a, a, a sentence that you uh, wrote. Uh, in fact, you wrote it as a question on your website, uh, but I, I like it uh, as a sentence when you say that uh, change before today's too much becomes tomorrow's not enough. Yeah. And that gives really uh, that sense of uh, escalation. In fact, there is so much into, into that that uh, we could talk about. Um, so one is uh, this uh, um, escalation. Um, the other is uh, crossing the line when, you know, we are not an uh, occasional user anymore, but we have become an, an, an abuser. Um, so what has to happen for us to start questioning that we have passed that threshold? I think once you start questioning, am I drinking too much? Am I doing, I'm going to say cocaine, you know, am I doing cocaine too often? Am I, am I gaming too often? Once you start asking yourself that question, there's a realization that switches on in your brain. There's like, okay, why am I asking that question? Because most often than not, you've just answered that question by saying, am I drinking too much? If you're thinking it, you probably are. And that is a real good, and that is the realization aspect. And that's, that's part of the first part of my reframing method is the realization. Once you realize that you potentially have this unhealthy habit, um, you know, it's, that's when you can start working on it. Now, this is predominantly 
way before you get to the addicted state. This is more the social aspect of it. Am I just drinking a little bit too much? Or are friends and family, family noticing your alcohol intake or whatever it is, there's been a level, an increase in that. Um, because I think once you get to the addiction state, it's so hard to climb back out of that. It is really hard to climb back out of that. Um, so a lot of the people that I do work with are just before that addiction stage. It's because I knew I can realize and I can recognize, okay, if you're not careful, this will be your next step. And then it's a long slippery slope and it's an even bigger battle. It's a bigger hill to climb out of that. So I try and get them just before that full-blown addiction state. Because with addiction as well, there tends to be a lot of mental health um, attributes, you know, negative mental health, which I'm not a trained psychologist, I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a therapist. So it would be wrong of me to sit here and say, yes, I can take you through my journey, my process. Yes, I have experts in my business who deal with that, but it's, understandably it's I'm comfortable at the way the rate that I give out my offer my advice and services and I don't want to stay unless I get my PhD you know in counseling we, we don't know what might happen two years ago I never thought I would have set this business up I'd have been quite happy in Italy making flowers for some prince somewhere I don't know but you just never say never so I, I do believe you know you have to realize, okay, there's something going on here. And your body tells you as well, Rosanna. Your body tells you. It, it rejects things. It, it, it craves things. So again, with me, with the alcohol, I knew I was having these physical symptoms and these withdrawal symptoms because I wasn't fueling myself with alcohol. But as soon as I took the alcohol... All the symptoms, all the physical symptoms went, the shakes, the, the sickness, the nausea, the, the retching, the, the itching, all of these symptoms just disappeared as soon as I had that first glass of wine. And that first glass of wine was at half past five in the evening. And that my body clock got used to that. And because it got used to it, it meant that I had to drink more for it to for it really to take hold. And that's the thing, that's the scary thing. It's like, okay, one glass of wine a night, fine, fair enough. But then you start thinking, well, that's not really hitting the spot, so I'll have two. I'm still stressed. Okay, well, I'll have three. Okay, I'm bored now, right, I'll open another bottle. And that's the cycle and that's the habit and that's the, the pattern of behaviors mm -hmm. which a lot of people fall into. And again, I'm going to say socially, our culture, particularly in the UK, it makes it so socially accepted for us to drink. We drink to celebrate, we drink to commiserate, we, we drink for boredom, we drink because it's so readily available. Nobody would think twice, or look at you twice, if you put six bottles of wine in your trolley in the supermarket. Nobody would think, oh, you absolute alky. They'd be going, you having a nice weekend? Or, you know, oh, enjoy. There'd be no 
no cause for concern because it's so socially accepted. And that's the thing. Yeah. That is the thing, you know, even in the marketing campaigns, it's wine o'clock, it's gin o'clock, oh, mummy needs a drink. All these things, birthday cards on little plaques, plaques, fridge magnets, all these things are there subconsciously. Is that the right word? Aiding, you know, hey, it's okay to drink. And... How many times people said, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, at midday, uh, they said, well, surely it's seven o'clock somewhere in the world. If you are stressed out, you can have a drink, you know. Rosanna, it used to be five o'clock in my world. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I, I, totally, totally. And that's the thing. And, you know, I think part of my journey and part of my life's mission and passion is, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to use alcohol or any other form of unhealthy, toxic products that we feel that we need to put in our bodies. It doesn't have to be that way. We go through a process where it develops our mind, body and soul so that we are, we are aware we don't need this. We are spiritually able and mentally Kate I'm making no sense here but I know exactly what I want to say you know we are able to do that by by reprogramming and that's what we are that's what we do we reprogram well why do you need why do you feel the need that a drink's going to calm you down why do you feel that you need for that cigarette is going to take the edge off things because you know what the alcohol itself will make you more anxious it's that quick fix but that it will make you more anxious if you're in a depressive state, it will just compound it and compress it. And then you, you get something else the next day. So you have more alcohol. You're just literally stacking. And we call it the habit loop. And it's basically there's four processes to the habit loop. And that's your cue, your craving, your response and your reward. And what we take you, what we do to you is we take you through this whole four pro, this four step habit loop process for you to be able to call it out. So when you hear, oh God, I need a drink. Okay, why do you need a drink? What is it? What is it that's making you need a drink? And we literally make you draw it out, map it out. Um, and obviously it's a lot, a lot more in depth than that. And then we add that to the reframing program. The skill set that you will derive from this and the new habits you will implement will far outweigh the unhealthy habits and the, the, the temptation of falling back into that cycle and addiction and, you know, things like that. So that's really, it's, it's just mind-blowing. The, the whole mummy needs a drink culture, all things like that. It, it is, and I'm not here to judge. You know, I still go out now that, well, now we can pretty much go out. I, I never judge my friends who drink. I never, I'm not the one who's, like, oh, you shouldn't be drinking. No, absolutely. If you can have that healthy relationship, you know, fine, go ahead and do it. But just be careful and I will come, I will educate them rather than 
make them feel bad for doing it. Because I know there's nothing worse than that. I know when my mum used to say, you shouldn't be drinking, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing... I'd be like, do you know what? Bugger off, I want a drink. Let me have a bloody drink. And there's nothing worse than that. But it is, it's about education, saying it doesn't have to be that way. Because you you raise your, your barrier, right, uh, to, to the other person. You uh, They want to help you. And they, they say what they say because they want to help you. But by... The way they say it, you raise your barriers and you basically refuse your, their help. And they say, no, I'm fine. I don't have this problem. Now, what you said about the social impact, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting. And um, there are some sort of uh, uh, addictions that are more uh, accepted than others. Um, you said alcohol, uh, drinking alcohol is uh, um, accepted, is social. Uh, eating uh, addiction to food uh, is uh, uh, well known to be very social. Um, so are all addictions uh, made equal uh, from that point of view? Or I'm addicted to food, for example, um, and I always say, uh, you know, I need to a little dose every day uh, just to, to leave. Uh, so is it just an excuse that I'm taking, uh, I'm, I'm telling myself? Oh, no. Um, let me just get my head around that question. So are all addictions equal? I think the underlying problem beneath an addiction can be seen as equal because we're, we're, not, we're not facing it full on. We're not heading into it. Okay, what is the problem? Why do I feel the need to drink? Why do I feel the need to have that extra bit of food? Like what, what, is the, what is the underlying reason? Um, because there always is an underlying, whether or not that's something you was told as a child, you know, no food should be wasted. You know, there's people in countries who are, don't have food, you know, you're very lucky or, you know, there's those kinds of incidents. Clean your plate, no? Yeah, clean your plate. You know, there's those kind of instances. Um, and I, I do believe that, once we master our own mind, and that's what it is, it's a mind hack. It's okay, why do I want that extra bit of cake? Why do I feel the need for the cake in the first place? Why, why do I need that little bit extra? Um, that's when you can, because again, that all falls into forgiveness. Why do you feel that? Okay, don't beat yourself up over it. It doesn't make you a bad person by wanting that or doing that. So forgive yourself for that, you know, and there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of blame. And I think once you start to learn the art of the forgiveness and listening to your, in, I'm going to call it your inner dialogue, because we all have an inner dialogue, whether or not it's a chimp on your shoulder, the, the little devil on your shoulder, whatever. Oh once, you, <laughs> once you start listening and owning that, I was going to say little bugger. Once you start owning that and going, yeah, okay, do you know what? I know you're there. I know. And this is one of the big tips that I give to my clients. It's, you know, okay, what's your habit? What's your unhealthy habit? What is your thing that tips you over the edge? You know you shouldn't be doing it, but yet you do it regardless. And you do it time and time again, even though you know 
the consequence of it. Yeah. What are the pain points? Yeah. So what are what are your pain points? What what is it? And whether or not it's alcohol, I will say right. Give it a name. So if yours is food, I want you to name your pain point, the food, I want you to give it a name. And I want you to call it a name of somebody or something that infuriated the absolute death out of you, that you really wanted to, whether or not that was a bully at school, whether or not it was a teacher that picked on you, a work colleague that bullied you, a boss, whatever. I want you to, every time that you have this craving, that cue comes along. When that cue comes along and you've got your little chimp on your shoulder, you name that cue and you name that chimp and you tell it to piss off. Excuse my French if you don't like swearing. I'm so sorry. I but love it. <laughs> you, you get personal with it. Mm. And when I speak to my clients and I ask them to do this, they look at me as if I've got two heads like are you serious? You want me to talk to, yes, you get personal with it. Because by doing that, you're taking control. You're telling this person on your shoulder, this habit, that, do you know what? I know you're there. I recognize what you're doing. And I can see where you're wanting me to go. But I'm telling you now, I am strong enough, bold enough, brave enough, and I'm telling you, Frank, to go do one. Because right now, I'm not in the mood. I'm in control. And by doing your craving only lasts seconds. That's all it's it might seem like an eternity, but it doesn't. It doesn't last a long time. What happens is the craving will come back. So then it, sound, it, it feels like it's a lot longer. But once you start doing these principles of, I know you're there, I hear you, I see you, but I'm in control and you're not going to win. Wow. And I think you continually do that, that's when your craving will be like shrinking. Okay. And it's a mind hack. That's what it is. It's a mind hack because you're taking back control. Rather than having this craving thinking, rather than you thinking, sorry, a craving is just a craving. It's just something that happens to me and you let it win. What right. you're doing is you're making it personal and you're giving it a name that really upsets you. So you've got that fury and you've got that anger and you've got that strength. And maybe the strength that you didn't have at the time when that person really upset you. You, you take all that angst, might be from your cheap teenage years. So you might have like 30 years of angst, but you're gonna take it out on this craving. Yeah, and that's, and that's the beauty of it. And again, with that comes forgiveness because you know, yeah, they were an arsehole when I was younger, but I'll forgive them because I've got control. They're not owning me anymore. I'm standing in my own power. I'm standing in my own ownership. And I'm strong enough, brave enough, and bold enough to move forward and forgive the absolute idiots. You can eyes with them. Yeah. And I think, I think that's 
that's one of the key i've given you a real golden a lot of people pay a lot of money for that I've given uh, i absolutely love it and uh, <laughs> uh, I, I want to thank you because one of the questions actually i had was if you could give a little uh, uh, nugget to our listeners on what to do uh, and you went straight into that so thank you very much i i, <laughs> I archived that sort of uh, question um so what are the most common obstacles that uh, your clients or people in general struggle with in breaking uh, habits? The first one, 100% is fear. Fear of who they're going to become. Um, because a lot of the time, my clients, myself included, I had a 30-year journey with alcohol. You know, that's that's more than half my life, clearly. You know, it's like a good chunk of my life. I was 14 years without touching a drop. And then 30 years of drinking alcohol, it's like, okay, who am I going to be? Who will Chrissy write? Who is this Chrissy Wright going to be? Is she going to be boring? Is she going to be miserable? Is she going to be bland, a bit vanilla, a bit, you know, Will people like her? And that, that was the main one. It's the fear of not knowing who I would become without my crutch. Um, you know, we, we all learn, a, learn to ride a bike with stabilizers. You know, majority of us do. As soon as you say, right, the stabilizers are coming off now, darling, that little bit of panic sets in. What if, what if, what if I fall? What if I hurt myself? What if I can't do it? So with the what if I can't do it comes a, a fear of failure. Yeah. So all these fears start to manifest themselves. Um, so I would categorically say the first barrier most people find is the fear. What if I fail? What if I don't like who I am without the habit? What if... I lose all my friends because my friends are the ones that keep me in the habit. Um, you know, you, your social circle is key. And I think once you are strong enough, and I do, I always say strong, bold, and brave. Once you're strong, bold, and brave to move away from these social circles, these are the people that are holding you back. These are the people who won't champion you. You know, if you were to say, right, I, I really need some help with and support with not eating the fatty foods or the sugary foods, but yet you're socializing and you're going to tea rooms and you're going to, you know, all these lovely places and you go and have a, an afternoon tea and they go, oh, one cake won't hurt you. No, it, it's, it's been disrespectful because you're, you're putting your boundaries in place. And that's where people have to honor and respect you and your wishes. Um, and likewise with the alcohol and the drugs, the social scene is key. And you do tend to see a lot of friends and family fall off your radar because you're leveling up and they're not. So there's an imbalance. Absolutely, but uh, this is something very nice. And I heard once, um, I cannot recall who, uh, probably Lisa Nichols, who said, 
when you are moving, you are growing, and you are going to the next level. It's like crossing, uh, passing through a door. And the door is so much wide. Uh, so it's, it's just for you. You know, you have to go through. You cannot bring everyone else with you. It's only when you are on the other side that you can invite them to come with you and join you. So uh, I absolutely uh, love what you said. And also, uh, I believe in uh, uh, reading between the lines of what you said is um, you have to be prepared to renegotiate relationships and uh, perhaps even uh, get rid of some of the people in, in your life, uh, making sure that uh, those that stay with you can uh, live well with the new you, uh, will like the new you, whatever that uh, will be, uh, and they won't uh, be disrespectful um, towards your, uh, your will to, to improve your, your health and uh, break free from, uh, from addiction. I absolutely uh, love that. With some addictions, we tend to take shortcuts. And being addicted to food, um, you know, I, I, I know that um, there are so many pills you can take, the, the magic solution, the, the fast, the, the quick one. How can uh, we avoid that? Because some of, of these shortcuts might not be healthy. Um, you can lose, I don't know, 10 pounds in, in a weekend if you don't eat or if you... Uh, take pills that send you uh, to to the bathroom every five minutes, you know, uh, but obviously they are not healthy. So um, can we say something about that and and the shortcuts, the use of shortcuts? Um, I think with, with any shortcut, regardless of whether it's addiction or anything, any shortcut in life, if you put it into business, if you put it in there's always going to be a negative consequence. You have to go through the, you have to jump through the hoops. You can't. And I think, I think with the shortcuts, it's a quick fix. It is a quick fix. It's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to be healthy. Mentally, it's not going to be healthy, let alone physically. So I think with, with the shortcuts or any hack, like the slimming pills or um, anything else like that. Oh gosh, this this is this gets me because I just want to scream and go, no, don't do it. Learn, <laughs> go, go on. Learn to love yourself more than that. You are more, you are worthy of more than a pill. Because by just taking a pill, you're just taking a pill. You're not going through the whole emotional aspect, the spiritual aspect, the mindset, the mindfulness, the, the oh gosh, the, the fun aspect. And you're probably thinking, how can breaking away from an unhealthy habit be fun? It has to be fun because otherwise you're not going to stick to it. Otherwise, you're not going to stick to it. To break a habit, you have to make a good, healthy habit. And in order to do that, you have to make sure it's fun. And in order to do that, you have to be focused. And in order to be focused, you have to take action. 
And I think for the ones who want to, to do it short term and just have that quick fix, you're not addressing the deeper root. You will never live a fulfilled life because you are always asking for that quick fix. You want the band-aid over a pl over a crack. And actually, in fact, you need to strip it back, sand it down, put a little bit of what filler on it, sand it down again, and it, it's layering it up. It's 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 building yourself up to a a form of self-love, and that is exactly what it is. It's that you worthy, you are so much more worthy than a 200 pound bottle of pills, which are gonna make you ill, which you don't know the side effects, which, you know, it's have more respect. We're, we're talking about respect for your body. You want to be slimmer, you want to be healthier, you want to be sober, you want to stop um, smoking. Well, have that same level of respect by doing a system that helps you bring respect rather than just purchasing it, purchasing it off. Absolutely. Also because I, I think what these uh, magic solutions do is actually not address the, addressing the real problem. Because if I think of my addiction, uh, which is with food, uh, a pill could promise me to uh, help me losing weight, but losing weight is only the consequence. My real problem is the addiction to food and why I, I uh, go to food. Now, I'm Italian, so obviously food is, is a major in my culture. Uh, I go to food when I'm happy. I go to food when I'm sad. I go to food when I need comfort. Uh, I, I go to food when I, I, I'm with friends. So food is, is massive. Uh, nonetheless, I know that there is uh, an emotional uh, attachment to, to food. So um, you stress a, a very important uh, and crucial aspect, which is the psychological uh, connection that we establish with the addiction. So it's, it's not just using something without, um, yeah, just because we, we won't, but it's because we are trying to uh, sort of uh, numb uh, a part of us that uh, perhaps we don't like and we want Absolutely. to hide. Absolutely, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. It, it is, you know, it's just, it's just taking that edge. It's not, it's not fixing the root. Whereas if you're going through a process of, okay, and it is, it's that, it's, it's that forgiveness, it's that understanding, it's that self-love. Because without the self-love, we are more inclined to go and reach for the food. We're more inclined to go reach for that bottle of wine or that gin. And I'm not saying that every addiction or every addict doesn't love themselves. You know, there's that element of insecurity. There's that element of, it's just what I do. You know, you, you've got the Italian culture, and it's a beautiful culture. I love Italy. It's a love, and do you know what? I'd be there with you eating because I just I I love my food as well. Um, but I just think it's fine. You can't fix a problem by not getting to the root of the problem. You know, and it it, it does for me forgiveness, self love. 
healing, all of these things are huge, massive key components into help breaking free from the addiction and the stigma as well, the stigma that's attached to it. Because, you know, we all know, you know, Italians, we all know Italians love food and that's their culture. You know, you have that label, you know, and, but yet you also have the healthier. Well, they live longer because they olive oil and wines and all this kind of, it's, it's that attachment and it's the labels. And I think, you know, once we start acknowledging that and start not shying away from it and speaking openly and honestly, and like I do now, I speak authentically and from the heart. Yes, I had this problem. I don't have that problem anymore and I'm helping others not to have that problem. And I have no shame in that. I have no shame in standing over saying I was an alcoholic. Whereas even people now, it's them that get uncomfortable with it. And that's not a reflection on me, it's a reflection of themselves because they can't take, they can't, they can't grasp that concept. Is, is it, does that, is it a mirror image? Does it mean that they think that they might drink a little bit too much and it's a bit too close to home? You just don't know. And I think, again, stigma for me is a huge, a huge issue. Absolutely. I mean, uh, what we think of ourselves and what society uh, puts on our on our shoulders is uh, is, is crucial. And um, uh, talking about uh, this uh, uh, self love that you mentioned and uh, uh, appreciation for the person we are, I think it's also important to, uh, perhaps to well to to break free. So break free means. Uh, getting rid of that addiction forever and ever, so avoiding relapse uh, or relapsing in, into that addiction, because that's a, another uh, another aspect. Um, it, it's very uh, it's not unusual to to open a magazine, for instance, and see this uh, celebrity that check in uh, in uh, rehab or in a, in a clinic in a, in a residence, and they come up. Uh, a month later and they are completely reborn, regenerated, and then within a few weeks they are back to square one. Uh, and, and that's because perhaps they didn't really break free from, from their addiction. They didn't uh, embrace that self-love uh, that makes you think, okay, this doesn't serve me. I deserve more than, than this habit. I deserve more than uh, this drug or uh, wine or, or food or whatever that addiction is, is it? I, th right? I think I think with that is is a very valid point. You know, we are we are governed by social media and these celebrities that we see, and again, we are we aspire to be subconsciously we aspire to be these. There's a lot of um, oh, what do you call it? Where you where you kind of associate yourself, you know, you want to be more like the, the we. You take it like role models, but. Yes, and you know, and I think when people check into rehab and places like that, yes, they work if you're 100% fully committed. Um, the other, and I know another reason maybe why they don't work and why people may fall back into 
you know, um, relapse is because the aftercare, the aftercare isn't there. So there needs to be an aftercare program. And again, we've just spoken about losing friends and losing social circles. If you're going, if you're going to check yourself into a rehabilitation center and do all the work and think, yes, I've got this, I've nailed it. I've gonna, I'm coming out of this rehab center, I'm clean. But you go back into an environment where your social circle is exactly the same. You don't have that, have, that aftercare. You don't have that. You don't have that facility for someone to go, hey, you know you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, because you're back in the same old habits of mixing with the same old people, the toxic people. Um, and that's why you see a lot of musicians, I would say, and a lot of actors and actors, because they, they go into these centers and they get all the treatments that they need. But then when they come back out, they're back into that minefield of the environment where drugs and alcohol and everything else is just there in an abundance. And until you've worked on your self-love, your mindset, you're not going to be able to say no. The resilience that you have got to build up and it is more than willpower it's not just willpower alone that will get you through breaking free from these addictions and these unhealthy habits it's more than that it's the mindfulness it's the spirituality aspect it's and I, I can't bang on enough about self-love and I know how difficult some people may appreciate that may conceive that because when you are so down, you have no self-love. You are, you are in that pit of despair. But it's like my awakening. Mine was a real epiphany. And mine was, there's no way I could have walked away from that. If I'd have walked away from that moment, I would be dead. Quite categorically, I would be dead probably now or within the next two years. Um, and it's the realization, it's the, I need to make changes because however long I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm not getting any better. I'm not, I'm not growing. I'm just getting in a more destructive state and cycle. And that's not just me. That's everyone in general. You know, if you, if you continue to do the same thing, is it Einstein that says something? If you continue to do something over and over again, and there's no change in behaviors or there's no change in outcome, you're getting the same old. I can't actually remember how he finishes it off. I, I, I believe it's uh, um, something like it's silly to, to believe that if you apply the same sort of rule, if you do the same thing over and over again, you get a different result. So if you do the same action, you will get the same result. And uh, you mentioned the word willpower, and I think that is uh, another very important concept because willpower works as long as everything works around you. But unfortunately, life happens, and uh, uh, we, we cannot control all, all the time. And if we just rely on willpower, for uh, getting rid of our addiction, sooner or later we will uh, fall into that again. Yeah, you'll right. crash and burn. You'll be like, it won't happen. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, Christine, listen, 
there is a, a, a quite a, a concern about addiction in uh, in the uh, teenagers, younger generation. Um, to me, especially with some uh, type of addictions like alcohol, for example, uh, we tend to see more and more teenagers uh, go into that and uh, starting developing these uh, these habits. What is your experience? Do you work with them at all? It's, it's funny you should say that, actually, because teenagers at the moment are actually steering. The statistics show that they're not actually going towards the alcohol. They're actually moving away. Um, it's, I've got some statistics on this. I don't know where they are, but I haven't got them to hand. But statistically, it's the... It's my age group, it's the 40s to 56-year-olds that are the ones that have developed this unhealthy habit with alcohol. Now, I know that when I've spoken before about teenagers and things like that, it's the whole social media aspect is they don't want to lose control. And I think once you start taking alcohol, you lose your control, you lose your abilities. And because there's so many social media platforms, they're, they're far more interested in making sure that they look okay. So their addictions and habits, their unhealthy habits are not, some have obviously alcohol dependency problems, but it's more geared towards the social media aspect. It's the do I look all right? Can I get a thousand likes? Can I? It's again, it's the self love, it's the self worth. And what they're doing is they're self sabotaging through using these platforms instead of using alcohol. Because once you start using alcohol and drugs, you're losing control. There's a control. And I'm not saying that again, please don't think, gosh, she's talking nonsense. I'm not talking nonsense, but these are what stats that I've come up against. Um, and there are kids that do, there are teenagers that do. And I do actually go into schools and mental health charities and I speak of alcohol and drug addiction, you know, and not being the sheep, not following the ones that do that. Help gain, get your own self-confidence, know your own value and self-worth. And know that it's not needed. You have other outlets to help you through these, these troublesome times. We give you coping mechanisms, which aren't harmful. Um, you know, whether or not that's music, you know, music and use creativity rather than toxic, toxic, toxicity. I think I've just made that word up. I'll take it though. Um, so in terms of the, the, the teenagers, I mean, I look at, at my children, I look at their friends, I look at the ones that I'm surrounded by. They are the ones that are, well, we don't really drink that much. They'd much rather, they're more interested in how they look and how they come across. And if you're absolutely bladdered, you're going to come across not pretty. You, you're going to come across, you know, oh my gosh, I was pulling that face. Oh my gosh, I was being sick and somebody's videoed it and put it on social media. So there's the, there's the whole shameful element of that. And I think that's what they're trying to steer away from. I often say, Rosanna, 
Often I am so glad social media wasn't around when I was a teenager or even oh, in my early years, in my early adult years because I'd have probably ended up in prison, to be quite frank, <laughs> some, of the stuff, some of the stuff that I was doing, you know, and, and I think there's the shame element around that, and teenagers don't want to fall into that shameful category. Um, right. Can so, uh, social media also become an addiction? Of course it can! <laughs> so, yeah! So as uh, adults, uh, what should we do and how can we uh, protect them in the sense yes it's okay to use it but uh, have an healthy relationship with that social media okay i i'm going to address this to everyone because it's not just teenagers it's adults as well you know i i have to go through this process myself i actually have a limiter on my time screen my screen time And when I know that I get up to that screen time limit, it cuts off. So I could be mid-call on a WhatsApp call and it'll cut off. And then I'm scrambling around going, oh my gosh, you know. Um, but I think, I think to have a healthier relationship with um, social media, you need to put systems and plans in place. You need to, you know, particularly with children as well. And I anyone really I'm going to say anyone because if you're in a relationship there's nothing worse than sitting next to your husband or your boyfriend and you've got your hand your your phone in your hand constantly it's disrespectful um and I think it's about having those open conversations you know okay you know when we go out for dinner or when we have din dinner at home you don't go on the phone it's no 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 phones at the table kind of ruling it sounds very archaic but I think you need to have some kind of discipline, like don't take your phone into the bedroom. You know, how many of us, first thing we do when we wake up is check the screen. How many of us say, right, okay, what's going on whilst I've, we don't even think that. In fact, we don't even think what's going on whilst I've been asleep. That doesn't even enter our thought process. We just pick the phone up and go, right, okay. And we're either- It's automatic, yeah. yeah. There's no thought process that goes into that, but, you know, we're there checking our emails, we're checking our social media activity, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever, Instagram, Twitter. You know, if you're on all these platforms, before you know it, that's an hour, an hour gone, that you've not been productive. You've probably got yourself in a little bit of an anxiety state because you're thinking, oh, I need to do that, I need to do that. And... <clears throat> You know, and last thing at night, don't take it to bed because if you're not sleeping, the last thing you want to be doing is scrolling. Um, so I think setting boundaries in place when it comes to your screen time most definitely is something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, going back to, you just think how easy life was before we had a mobile phone. You know, and it seems so difficult nowadays to live without all these uh, electronics. Uh, how do we do? <laughs> I, I really don't know. And I, I think, you know, I've, I've recently started to, on a weekend, really give myself that downtime because I don't, I, I'm now in the process of, okay, 
I want to be more mindful because that's part of my journey. That's my program. And I think you, you will never be mindful if you've continually got a screen in front of your face. And also, again, it comes to value and worth. And I'm going to take it right back to Danny on the bridge. The amount of people that walked past him, drove past him, whatever, and didn't stop because they weren't mindful. They were far too busy, engrossed either on their journey, on their phone, walking past. They didn't even look up and see a man in dire straits because we are so blinkered and we are so channeled into online activity. What is going on? What is so-and-so doing? And again, it's not com comparisonitis. I want to be like them. Nobody ever posts their bad shit on social media. Very rare that you will find people posting negative stuff. It's all, this is what I'm doing. This is everything. This is lovely. This is that. And that, again, this was one of my problems. I used to post that. When I had my floristry business, everything was amazing. So when I had my first breakdown on my meltdown and my first mental health issue, everybody's like, we never knew you were like that because we didn't, I didn't let people in. I only let them see the good stuff. Mm. And I think to keep a healthy balance, you have to share. You have to share. I'm not saying don't air your laundry in dirty laundry in public. I'm not saying that, but there's to be an healthy balance. Life is just not plain sailing. And if you expect to see everything on TV, that's all the, you know, celebrities are this, this and this, and it's all amazing. It's bullshit. It's rubbish. And that can, that's the same for everyone in our social circle. Nobody's life is perfect. We all have ups and downs. We all have blips. And it's about recognizing those blips and being there for those people who have those blips. And, you know, and again, I speak of, if you know somebody's going through a difficult time, don't just say, hey, I'm here for you. Ask them, are you okay? Is there anything that I need to be doing for you? And the chances are they'll say, no, I'm fine. And this is a big thing for me. I always say, ask them again, because by asking them again, you're giving them permission you're allowing them to open up and say, well, actually, I'm really glad you asked because I feel like this and I don't know where to turn. And what you're then doing is you're allowing them to come forward without no shame or guilt and allowing them the time because, again, a lot of the time is they don't want to burden you. They don't want to trouble you. And again, this is, this is key with people who have addiction and and mental health problems that they don't want to trouble you but you're allowing them to come forward you're giving them permission by saying I want you to talk to me I want you to tell me what's going on because we can sit together and might not be able to help you but we can formulate a plan and just by taking that little bit of pressure off them can release so much just by saying I'll come up with a plan for you. And that's all, sometimes that's all that's needed. You're just taking that haziness away from them. And I think, I think that's key. And I went off on a little soapbox rant there as that. 
No, I, I absolutely love it because um, when you were talking before, I, I was thinking, you know, sometimes it's very difficult for people to open up yeah. and, and just to come up clean with, with others, even especially, not even, but especially with those we know well, uh, you know, our friends or our, our family and relatives, because they have an idea of who we are. They, are, they have expectations and we think that by showing up uh, exactly as we are, we sort of um, remove uh, the status that we hold with them. Uh, so yeah, I think what you said uh, absolutely makes, uh, makes sense. And uh, I think it's important for everybody to, to realize that nobody is perfect, not even uh, the, the VIP. Uh, that everyone has uh, their own uh, uh, little issues or their little uh, addictions. And the most important aspect is really, first of all, being aware of it, recognize it, uh, and then start working on that and going very deep, uh, starting uh, the self-love. So uh, I know that you mentioned already um, your, your method. Um, shall we uh, go very quickly through uh, what reframe is and uh, once again and uh, so people uh, if they are uh, you know convinced that uh, they might have a problem they can come and uh, talk with you a little bit more yeah sure I um so obviously the reframing method is an it's something that I've implemented it's something that has helped me get out of my dark times. Um, and it, it's, it's a nine step method. And it, the R stands for realization. The, uh, I need to get my head on that, yeah. The R stands for realization. The E stands for envisagement. So you've realized that we have this trouble, this problem. Okay, let's envisage what it is that you want your new life to look. And, you know, we can be as wild as whatever we want to be. You can go crazy. Well, I want to be living my dream life. And, you know, envisagement can be a form of meditation. It can be a form of dream boards, whatever. It could be just something so simple as I just want my life to be easier. Yeah, so it, does, it can be as big or as bold or as small and compact. That's what you need it. So it's realization, envisagement, focus and fun. And like I said before, you've got to be able to focus on it because if you don't focus on it, you're not going to achieve it. And by having fun, you're more likely to stick to it, okay? The R stands for um, relaxation. Um, and it's finding ways to relax because we are in such a fast-paced world at the moment. And again, going back to technology, going back to screen time, we need to give our bodies, our minds and our souls time to relax and unwind and un untangle um, these things, which when we're tangled, that's when we, we reach for stuff. You know, that's when we reach for the bottle or the cake or the foods or the drugs. Um, and then obviously there's the action. We've got to act on what we want to put into place. Because without the action, you might as well just say, yeah, this is, this is going to be, this is the Einstein thing. Without the action, I'm just going to be doing the same mindless stuff. Um, then it's mindfulness and mindset. Mindfulness is all about what's going on in the world. It's awakening up to 
mother nature, spirituality, it's been even right down to enjoyment of eating your foods. You know, when you actually take that first mouthful, do you just shovel it in or do you actually go, this is bloody gorgeous. This is really, and really getting into the juicy, nice zones of it. And you know, my kids think I'm crazy. Because I'll be sat there going, mm, this is delicious. <laughs> and it's about being mindful, not just with your foods. It's about being mindful with the mother nature, the, the trees, the rainbows that you may see, the birds that you hate, hear tweeting. You know, looking for that kind of thing because we are so blinkered. We do put our blinkers on and we just go through the motion. And then there's obviously the mindset thing. You know, we have to we have to start putting some mindset practices in there. Um, then it's your inspiration. What inspires you? Or what inspired, this is a good question. What inspired you before you actually started taking part in the unhealthy habit that grabbed you? So what is it that you really, really love doing, but you realize now you don't do it because you do more of this other thing instead? And for me, it was dancing. I used to love dancing. Um, for others that have come through my programs, it's things like photography, it's things like woodwork, it's crafting. And what these people have done, their, their inspiration, quite a good number of people who've come through my programs have used their inspiration. They stopped doing their paid jobs and have been inspired to start their own businesses in what inspires them and that's photography woodwork and they're actually making more money from their own inspiration from giving up their cravings their you know one was gambling one was drinking um, another one was too too drinking and gambling and they formed new companies and are making more money than what they were on when they were salary based because they're finding the enjoyment factor They've reignited their passion. So therefore they don't feel like they're working. So that's inspiration. And then you've got nutrition and with nutrition becomes exercise. You know, we're not gonna fuel ourselves on toxic foods. We're gonna nurture our, nurture our bodies. And it's also nutrition of the mind and the brain. You know, let's get holistic. Let's get a little bit spiritual. Let's do some cuckoo la la things. I love nothing more than hugging trees. And I don't give two hoots, Rosanna, who sees me hugging a tree because I think I'm happy. I'd rather hug a tree than have a glass of wine, you know. And, you know, the final part of the reframing process is grace and gratitude. Be gracious with everything that we do. Be gracious with every compliment that comes your way. And be gracious in giving those compliments. And it's, it's all about how we portray ourselves, portray ourselves with grace, you know, but also be grateful and be totally full of gratitude for everything that comes our way in that day to day. So one of my first things I wake up, three things that I'm grateful for. As soon as that, as soon as my feet, and another habit, Another healthy habit. As soon as my feet touch the floor, from me to get from the bedroom to the bathroom, I have to have said three things I am grateful for. 
and it might be, I'm grateful for the crap night's sleep I've just had because I know I'm going to have a good night's sleep tonight. Even so you're turning that negative into a positive state. I'm grateful for waking up. We, we should all be grateful for waking up because there's so many unfortunate people who don't. Um, you know, and I think once you get into the, the habit of being gracious and grateful and writing gratitude lists and gratitude journals, it's a complete different ball game. So that really is the reframing. It's realization, envisagement, focus, fun, relaxation, action, mindfulness, and mindset, inspiration, nutrition, and exercise, grace, and gratitude. Wow. I, I was going to ask you, actually, the uh, daily practice that you have, but you started already, <laughs> you know, with uh, uh, these three gratitude uh, elements. I absolutely, uh, absolutely love it. Uh, Christine, I'm aware of the time. Uh, we have been chatting a lot and I loved every single uh, second of it. Um, before going, um, what do you have in the pipeline right now? What are you working on? Anything okay. that you want to share? Oh, gosh, what am I working on? <laughs> oh, wow. I've, I've just completed my speaker training now. So I'm, a, a, I'm an inspirational speaker. Now I've got my speaker show reel coming. Um, so that's something re to really look forward to once I, I get that in the inbox. Um, in July, I am releasing my first book. It's called Phoenix Rising. So I'm part of a collaboration with an amazing group of book sisters. Um, and that's called Phoenix Rising. And that's just in, that's in July. And that's just in time for when we launch... Um, the Burning Woman Festival, which is the 23rd and 25th of July. I'm part of, I'll be taking part of that. It's a good friend of mine who has this festival. Um, so I'm taking part in that. And I think we're actually doing a non-alcoholic bar there as well. So we're opening it up to a different revenue stream as well. So, you know, there'll be different things. So I'll be doing bar I'll be doing bar work. That doesn't sound great, does it? <laughs> I'll, I'll be providing non-alcoholic cocktails and things like that, which is fabulous. Um, I also run my six-week courses. Um, so that's an introduction to the new beginnings, which is what my courses are called. So I run my six-week courses every eight weeks. So, you know, if you go on my website, you'll see the courses. Um, just you can contact me on the yeah, I think it says contact me, just get in there, get in my inbox. Yes, we will uh, put all this information yeah. eventually in, uh, in the... And then, and then obviously there's my one-to-one -one mentoring program where you can work with me independently um, rather than a one-to-many scenario. It's me just one-on-one -on -one, um, and that you can get in my inbox and just say, right, okay, I want to book on and we start a date, what's best for you? Um, and we tend to do that sooner rather than later so you don't back out because if, if you procrastinate about it you go oh, go in uh, go in guns are blazing and just do it so there's there's, there's quite a lot going on um, obviously I'm doing my TV work as well which I spoke to you about earlier um, I'm doing something for Netflix um, which is all about the it's a teen drama, horror, psychological thriller about mindset and social media activity for kids. 
So that's that's going to be full on. Um, and I'm just being a mum as well. I'm being a mum. So that's a big job. One of the most rewarding jobs. One of the definitely <laughs> most absolutely. Uh, very last question. Yeah. Uh, if there was one take-home message that you hope our listeners uh, got from today's conversation, what that would be? Um, change is possible. Change is possible. I absolutely love it. So I hope that this episode has provided food for thoughts on how any form of addiction can uh, take over and destroy our lives, but also that uh, can be broken. And uh, there are useful and practical tools and uh, Christine has provided some uh, uh, insight in, into that on how we can, uh, we can do it. And if you think you have developed an addiction, please uh, consider what uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, uh, a Hungarian-born Canadian physician once uh, said, the attempt to escape from pain is what creates more pain. Christine, thank you very much for being with us today, accepting our invitation and sharing with us your experience, your knowledge, and everything you are, you are doing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rosanna, for honestly inviting me. I've had an absolute blast. And I want to thank you, thank your listeners as well. So I wish them all love and light and lots of healing. Thank you. So we would love to know what you think about this topic. Uh, are there specific struggles or challenges that you have, that you are facing, and that perhaps we didn't address today? If so, uh, let's, uh, let us know, uh, ask some questions. Um, we might ask uh, Christine to, to come back. But as always, if you've been affected by the topic we discussed today, please, please seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.